Okay, guys. Uh, we're going to start the, the part of the service where, wow, I love it. Okay, so we're going to start the part of the service where uh, I open the word, and I'm going to talk about, preach to you about uh, what it says. So if, if what we believe here is that God's word has power and that through his word, he is actively moving in our hearts and our minds. And that you may think that you came this morning uh, to, to attend an event, uh, and it may seem like, even because of this very nice stage and the state-of-the-art equipment, that the, that, that the focus of what is happening is up here. Um, and that's not true. That what we believe is that the Holy Spirit is here, and he's in you, he's moving in you, and that as we open the word, that he is doing something that is even greater than the words I'm gonna say. And that's also what these kneelers are about this morning, is that what we're doing this morning is we're gonna take communion together. And then what we also believe is that God is very present with us in the, in the preaching of his word, and that he's present with us when we come to the communion table in a very special way. And so kind of what we do this morning is all building us toward the moment of coming up here and, and being at the, at the table together. So we'll, I'll give you more in specific instructions about how that's going to go when it happens. So if you're a little bit intimidated about how am I going to know what to do, don't worry. I will tell you, okay, when we get there. I just want you to be prepared for and to know uh, that this is kind of where the service is driving us, is, is to these kneel, kneelers here and into, into an encounter with the living God who we believe is here with us speaking to us this morning. And he's speaking to us out of a very old story. Because the book that we've been in this spring is the book of Genesis, the book that takes us all the way back to the beginning of who we are as people. Take us, takes us all the way back to the beginning of creation, back before time existed. And as we've been unraveling those stories, we've talked about how one of the major arcs of Genesis is, is uh, one of the major focuses of Genesis is that it, it drives us to repentance. But in doing so, what, what, what God has for us is life, that he has for us revival, that that work of the Holy Spirit that we just talked about, that what the Holy Spirit is always doing is he is bringing life, he's pouring life and God's love into God's people. That's what he does. And one of the ways that we participate with that revival that the Holy Spirit is always bringing is through this thing called repentance. Repentance being telling God, I, I'm sorry. Acknowledging our sin before him and that that actually is a gateway to life. We've been talking about that all throughout Genesis, how repentance leads to revival, how repentance leads to life. And this morning, when we talk about the Tower of Babel, we're talking about that in another way, in a new way, from a new perspective. And then here's, here's where I hope we will get, if, if we have time, okay, is that uh, one of the places that I'm, I'm hopeful and even desperate this morning for God to bring life into us is in the places of our, of our calling, that each of us is called by God in a very specific way into, into places and situations in our lives. And we often think about calling as our jobs, and that's true, that is one of the places that we are called, but to just boil it down to our jobs would be too narrow. That every relationship that you are in, God has called you to it. 
the work that he's given you, regardless of where that work is and what form it takes, it's a place that God has called you. And we live in this tension as humans where what we desire, what we hope for, what we, what we want is to do, uh, to do, to experience meaning in our work, right? In our calling. That we would be able to get to the end of a day when we lay our heads in our pillows and we would say, I did it. And it was good and it was worth it. Do you guys connect with that at all? Does anyone else have that desire at the end of the day, right? Th that's what we are... Oh, are hoping for, that's what we can bend our efforts and our days around. And, and yet, uh, so often we can wonder if that's an okay thing. Like, is it okay that I wanna do really good work? Is it okay that you wanna get recognized for the good work that you do? Because sometimes you can be in a church environment and it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, if someone tells you you gotta do, if, you, if someone tells you that you did a good job, that the biblical thing to say, the Christian thing to say is, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really me. It was the Lord, so deflect, right? Is that what we're called to? It can, it can feel like that sometimes, that that's the biblical thing for us to do. And what I think this passage is inviting us into is a place of a lot more joy. To be able to say that we want our work to be excellent, that we would actually pray that God would bless our work, that, that God would bless your work. Our work as a congregation, your work as individual people. And that in doing that, when that gets recognized, that there would be a way that we could actually rejoice in God for that and appreciate uh, the joy that it's bringing to other people. Would that be exciting for you if that was possible? Yes, okay. That is what we are talking about this morning and hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit would do in us, that he would prepare us for that kind of engagement with our world and with our calling. Okay, so I'm gonna invite our reader to come up. Ellie is reading for us this morning. Woo! Yeah, Ellie! The word, woo. Uh, Ellie's going to be reading for us out of Genesis 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis 11. We'll be in verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have them on the table in the back. You don't have to grab one now unless you want to, but you can get one on the way out. And then we'll also have it up here on the screen uh, behind us. Okay, this is Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was... Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we trust that you desire to speak with us this morning uh, and ask that you would tune our hearts to be receptive to that. 
Lord, that through all of the other things that we are hearing that are happening in our minds and our hearts, uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be even louder. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's really easy when we look at this passage to wonder, what is happening here? Like, what, what is going on? Why is this such a big deal? People building a city and a tower that God would come down. It's a very, it's a very strange story, okay? But when, when we look at it, as we pull it apart, what I, what I hope you see this morning, what I hope the Holy Spirit illuminates for us, is uh, that what is on display is uh, man's autonomy uh, run wild, and that what we are being called to, what the, what the story of Scripture would invite us into is a different way of living, a way of submission. We're talking about those two different ways, this, this way of autonomy, this way of submission, or to put it in, in kind of a different theological frame, it would be the city of man as opposed to the city of God. And what it looks like, what it feels like to live in those two different cities. So w- when we start here, we've got, we got to ask, what is it that, that's going on in this passage? What is it that God is coming down here to disperse, to break up? What is it about the people's work in this city uh, that, that, God, uh, yeah, that, God has come, uh, yeah, that God has come to break up? Because like I said, on the surface, uh, it's hard to, to figure out what that might be. But we get a taste of it in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. That what these people who are gathered together, what they're saying is, we are going to make a name for ourselves. We are going to make ourselves great. We're going to make ourselves famous. That's something that we can connect with, right? The desire to be famous. And it would... We have plenty of kind of folk tales in our world about why the desire for fame is dangerous. Like maybe you've watched a Hallmark movie about it, right? Where there's, you know, it's a small town girl. She goes to the big city. She finds this life that's so amazing, but also kind of hard. And she comes back and she falls for the hometown hunk and realizes I got too big for my britches. And now, like, I've, I've been humbled. I've come back to myself, right? You, are you aware of that kind of folktale? I will just tell you, I've never watched a Hallmark movie, but you can get that from the previews, right? It's all right there. So we have these stories in our culture that would say, yeah, fame is, fame is not a good thing. It, it can destroy things. It can mess things up. So, like, don't want to be famous too bad. Just, like, a little bit. That's, like, a part of the story, okay? But that's not, that's not, like, that's not the beating heart of it. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's really where the punch is. Yeah, that's hard to believe. Okay, but let me remind you what we've studied in Genesis so far. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them this command. He said, he gave them this calling. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, take my image that I have placed in you and carry it out to every corner of the world. Fill the world with my image in you. Fill it with my glory. Adam and Eve, uh, you know, the fall happens, sin enters the picture, and then there's this fear. Wow, has, will God remove his favor? Will he take away this calling that Adam and Eve have been given? But no, the, the calling continues, right? And after the flood, after, uh, after God's judgment is poured out on humanity, Noah and his family come out of the ark, and God gives them that call again. 
be fruitful and multiply. Go and take my image out. Fill the earth with my glory. And, and right after that story, what we read that people did is they said to God, no, we will make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They said to God, we will not do what you have commanded us to do. No. At the heart of that is man's autonomy. Our resistance to God. That what the people in this story are, say, is, are saying to God is, no, we are self-sufficient. We will determine what is best for us. And the most, as much as we can box you out or ignore your commands, like that is what we will do. We even get that in the word autonomy. Like auto is, is self, right? Self, kind of a self-driven uh, self-oriented. And then uh, nomos means law. So autonomy is about a self-law that I rule myself, I will rule me, I will determine what is best for me. That's what we see at work here in this passage, is man's utter rejection of God's authority and saying, no, we will build for ourselves a city that lifts us up and that boxes God out. I think it's easy for us to wonder, is that really that bad? Is that really such a bad thing? I guess we're going to be writing the movie train this morning. I, I was thinking about the social network. Do you guys remember that movie? Right? The whole movie is about how Mark Zuckerberg in building Facebook, there were all these people who contributed to the work, but he kind of railroads all of them, and he, builds the, he, he claims that he has built the whole thing. That he's saying, it is my name, it is my power, it is my authority that I'm going to lift up and celebrate and worship. And anybody who gets in the way of my power being exercised, I'm going to push him out. Not to mention, who cares about the effects that what I am building has on the world? Right? That's what we've learned is that over time it became clear to people inside this company that the effects of this product were terrible for the people who were using it. And there was a total disregard of those effects. No, I will do what is best for me and best for my pocketbook. I will determine my own law in the face of everything else. That's what our autonomy looks like when it's given full reign in our lives. And what is happening here at Babel is people are coming together and they're stacking their hands on that idea. They're saying, we're going to get together and we're going to create a city, we're going to create a culture that is totally devoid of any of God's authority and we're going to build it on our belief and our ability to rule ourselves. And what God says to that is, that is not good. That's what we would call, that's what theologians across the centuries would call the city of man. Is us coming together, stacking hands with each other, the conspiracy that we have agreed to together to say, let's do what we can to keep God out of the picture. Let's, let's allow our, our will uh, to rule ourselves. Let's collaborate in rejecting God's authority over our lives. That's the city of man. A city that worships autonomy. And in the face of that, God comes down. So we read in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. 
And that verse is kind of the center of the sandwich in this story. It's, it's the focal point of everything that's happening in this story. The Lord came down to see the city and, ta- and the tower which the children of man had built. And uh, we got to appreciate the, the shade that the author of Genesis is throwing here in this story. Because what the people of Babel have said is, we're going to build this tower that reaches up to the heavens, that brings us to God. And what God is saying is, your work to do that is so tiny, I have to come down to see it. He's putting their work, he's contrasting it with his work. That all of our efforts, all of the best culture, all of the things that we want to build that, that are in defiance of God or that reject his authority, God is saying, man, they are nothing compared to who I am. The author also points it out in what uh, they were using to build, like the building materials that were at use here. He's not just making like an architectural note, okay? There's a, there's a meaning behind why he would include the building materials. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. It's not sellers of Catan, okay? Uh, there's a theological point here that what he's saying is that uh, you know, clay that's been fired is not a reliable building material. It's a building material that breaks down, that over time gets washed away. He's saying that all of these human efforts, all of, the, all of the efforts that have come together to produce this culture that rejects God, it's all built with material that in and of itself is broken, that decays, that's not solid. They weren't even using stone. They were using materials they had to build that themselves broke down. You know, what that reminds us of uh, is the instability of the kingdoms that we build when those kingdoms are opposed to God. That the lives that we build that are founded on our own autonomy or authority, our own wills, when, those, when the foundation of our lives is a foundation that's opposed to God, it's on sinking sand. It's built with material that inherently breaks down. And so what we desire, right, is work that is meaningful, that has purpose, that, that helps humanity to flourish. And yet the very materials that we are using to build that when done with our own will are the materials that break down. And so there's just frustration in our work and what we build. And the kindest thing, the most gracious thing that God can do is to come down and to do what feels to us like judge our work and break it up. That God comes down and he uses his tool of confusing people's language to make them leave the building of this city, the city of man alone, and drive them out into other places to fulfill the command he actually gave them. That's what God is doing here. He's driving them away from the city of man out into, out into participating in the work he's given them to do. And for the people who were building the tower, that would have felt like a death. This place that we've invested all of our time, all of our energy, all of our focus, our very definition of ourselves is being taken away from us. And yet in doing that, God is doing the most gracious thing imaginable because he's driving them out of that city that's dedicated to themselves and is driving them out into a place where he can show them himself to remind them of their desperate need for him. The most gracious thing that God can do for us when we are set in in building a, a city of our own will, when we are set on building our lives on the foundation of our own authority, the most gracious thing he can do to us is blow those things up. 
And that's devastating in our lives, isn't it? To have those foundations shaken, to be forced to wonder, God, what am I doing here? What is this for? Is my work valuable? Is it meaningful? Does it matter? Who am I? And yet it's the most gracious thing God can do for us because this instance of God coming down is not the last time that he came down, is it? Because the God that we worship is a God who comes down again and again and again in pursuit of his people, in pursuit of you. And we know that the, the, the ultimate example of that is him putting on flesh and coming for us in the person and through the work of Jesus Christ. That God literally came down and lived among us in this city of man. And when he came down, he was fully God and fully man, right? Which means he was the most human human who has ever existed that he lived the fullest human life imaginable. He, he exemplified for us, this is what it means to live in the way that God intended, and his experience was of total connection with God. And what did that look like? He says it in John 4, 34. He says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. My food, what brings me nourishment in my life, what fills me up is to do the work that God has given me. He traded in the autonomy that we have lived under and lived in perfect submission to the will of the Father. Guys, I don't know about you, that feels like a gut punch to me. That my food would be to do the will of, of the Father? that my life would be totally reoriented, that our lives would be built on an entirely different foundation. The foundation of doing the will of God, trading in our autonomy for submission. And when we look at, at that in Jesus' life, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. That's the humility of our Jesus. And that kind of humility, that's a humility that, that, that our world in some ways will celebrate, right? King Charles, yesterday, he took an oath uh, in Westminster Abbey, and he said something very similar to this. He swore an oath not to be served, but to use his position, his power, his authority to serve. There are leadership books about it, right? Leaders eat last. That will hold up this idea of service as a thing that we should all embrace. And yet what we have to acknowledge is that there is a way that that ideal of service can come from the same foundation as the rest of the city of man, can't it? Because you know that's possible. That is at the crux of so much of the religion that we practice and that the world around us practices. Just like here in Babel, uh, the, the people who were building this tower weren't atheists, Right? They admit that God exists. We're going to build a tower up to him. They're not rejecting uh, that God is a, is, is a being, but what they're saying is that we, rather than letting God come down to us, we are gonna, we're going to go up to God. And friends, the burden of that is so heavy, isn't it? 
to believe that the way that we get back to God is through our own efforts? The burden of being good enough, of being holy enough to prove that we are deserving of God's love? Let's just acknowledge the burden of living in the city of man, the burden of living under uh, our autonomy. That I've got to create for myself meaning and significance, that I've got to look at my work and ask my work to be the thing that gives me meaning. It's a horrible burden. My obsession with myself is a horrible burden. Thinking just a, f- a few weeks ago, I was in a conversation with a friend, and guys, it was just, it was so awkward. Like, maybe you've had conversations like this. It's one of the most awkward conversations of my life. The person like, wouldn't even look at me, and it, and it went on and on and on. I'm like, how do I get out of this? And, and as I'm in it, I keep asking myself, what did I do? Right? What did I do? I get home, I tell my wife about it, and she says, maybe it wasn't about you. That thought literally had not crossed my mind. That the person that I'm having this conversation with could have been having something that was happening in his life that had nothing to do with me and yet was affecting him that profoundly. And that obsession with me, it, it got in the way of me being able to see my friend and love him because I'm so obsessed with me. God, the city of man, living in the city of man under the weight of that autonomy is such a heavy burden. Who is going to save us from ourselves? That's a trap. Because as soon as I start figuring out what am I going to do to save me from me, I'm still back to being focused on me. Oh, so praise God that in Jesus Christ, love has come down to us. God has come down to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That rather than us trying to work our way back up to God, that no, God has come down and brought us to himself. That he has come to free us from our addiction to ourselves. Oh, praise God. And the gateway of that, the gateway to that is repentance that we would acknowledge before God, God, I'm sorry. God, there are ways that I'm living that are opposed to you. God, here are the places in my life that I have made my life all about me. God, I'm sorry. Would you rescue me from that? And what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians is that there is a repentance that leads to life. That there is a kind of, well, here, I'll just read it to you. This is 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What we are so often acquainted with in the church is a worldly grief that leads to death. That what God is asking us to do is to say sorry over and over and over and over again and to beat ourselves up about the things that we are done that are wrong as if the things that we have done that are wrong as if somehow in doing that we are earning our way back to God. Yeah, that is not the repentance that leads to life, friends. But Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us to lay those things out before me. And in that place, what we get to receive is his love for us, the forgiveness that has already been purchased for us. I meant to ask him, okay, Father, now, now I, I'm willing to lay down my autonomy here and submit to you. Would you now lead me out into a new life? And here's what you'll find. 
nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, most times, that God is going to lead you from repentance back into the same calling you had before. And he's going to lead you into it to embrace it, to engage with it in a different way. In whatever work that you have been called to, that we have the opportunity to come before our Heavenly Father because these are the places he has called us and to ask, Father, where are you leading me here? What does it look like for me to do your will in this place instead of my will? There's so much freedom there, isn't there? And and I hope and pray for this congregation, for you, that, that as we are turning our lives, as we are turning our work, our callings over to God, that what he does is blesses the socks off of what you were doing. You know that the, in, in the Psalms, people pray for this? Bless the work of our hands. Yes, oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Because when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That's what the author of Proverbs tells us. That when God's people, when the, when the people of God, the people who are part of God's city that's founded on a totally different foundation, a foundation of God's love, of submitting to that love and living that love out to the people around us, when those people prosper, it is good for everyone in the city of man. And that as we are doing that, as we are, God willing, are encountering uh, the wins and the losses that come from that, as, as people may recognize and celebrate what is happening in your work and in your life as you engage in your calling and, and that, and, and you get celebrated, uh, that there's always a temptation there, isn't there, to come back to the city of self? They kind of suck back down into this whirlpool of focusing on us. Guys, that is so normal, Okay? Of course that happens, because we're people. Rather than beating ourselves up about that and trying to parse our motives all the time, do I have a right motive here? No, probably not, because your motives are like mine. They're all mixed up, of course. So when we notice the, the motives, the selfishness kind of creeping back up, the city of man stuff, that what we are free to do in the middle of being celebrated, in the middle of that work is say, God, I'm sorry, would you, would you forgive me? Yes! and then set it down and move on. You see how that rescues us from that vortex of always being focused on self? Oh, Lord, I'm sorry my motivations are messed up here. Would, would you forgive me and would you lead me into a path of life? Let's move on. And that's what we were doing this morning here uh, at these communion kneelers. So here's how this is going to work. We have uh, four songs after this. And that's intentional, to give you time to engage with Jesus, to repent, to ask, Lord, where are there foundations of my life that are set on my own authority in my life? And to turn those over to him, to say, God, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, where are the places that pride has hijacked my life? Where are the places that I have loved me more than the people around me? To ask God that, to trust the Holy Spirit, to show you those things, and then to say to him, I'm sorry. We've got time built in for you to do that work with the Lord, to allow him to speak to you, for you to repent. And then we get to come up here to the Lord's table, and what we'll do is we'll take, when you come up here, you can kneel down, and when you're ready, uh, you can hold your hands out. You're welcome to pray. You're welcome to ask for prayer. You can cross your arms and ask the people who are up here serving to pray for you. If you need someone to enter into that journey of repentance to encourage you and pray God's grace over you, you can do that. 
You can come up here, you can kneel, you can repent, you can ask for prayer. And when you're ready, you can put out your hands. And one of the people who's up here serving will serve you. They'll say, this is the body of Christ which is broken for you. This is the blood of Christ which is shed for you. And what you'll eat and what you'll drink is a reminder, is, is a participation with the forgiveness that Jesus has brought for you. Because we don't get out of the trap of ourselves, the quicksand of ourselves, by focusing on ourselves. We get out of it by focusing on Jesus. And that's what we're doing at this table, is we're tasting, we're seeing, we're being reminded in a visceral, physical way that God is with us, that he is for us, that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and that all he has for you as his people is love. That's what we are feasting on this morning when we come to the Lord's table. And when we come, uh, we come, there's a, there's a warning for us at this table that Paul tells us uh, in 1 Corinthians, hey, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this table is not for you right now. We're so glad that you're here. And ask that as we, as we take this meal together, that you would be praying and asking God to show himself to you. But this is for people who are willing to come and to confess and to repent of their sin before God. And you may be here and be someone who is following Jesus, but be unwilling to repent of the sin in your life. If that is you, if you are unwilling to repent this morning, this table is not for you right now. That is a thing that you've got to deal with first. This table is a table of repentance that then leads us into life. But if you this morning are, are even a little bit aware of your need for God's grace in your life, for God to come down and do for you what you could not do for yourself, then come on, bring it. All of the sin, all of the repentance, all of your need and desperation for God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, bring it. And if you are here and, you, uh, and you're doubting, man, welcome. This table is for people who doubt to be strengthened and encouraged as we take the elements together. I'm going to read uh, these words of institution from us out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. God, we are thankful that in your great love for us that you sent your son and Jesus that you came down. Lord, that you came, you put on flesh, and you entered the city of man, Lord, to birth a new city, to bring a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus, when you uh, were in the garden, when you saw what was coming for you so that we could be redeemed, you said, Lord, uh, if it's possible, this cup pass for me, yet not my will be done, but your will. Jesus, we thank you for that prayer. And that we get to come to this table to be reminded of your love and your forgiveness that you have poured out over us because of your willingness to submit in love to your heavenly Father. God, would you be gentle to us this morning in revealing the places in our hearts where we need that repentance? And as we come to the table, would you meet us, would you bring us life and fill us with rejoicing? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.